0: Welcome to Abide in Liberty, a podcast empowering patriots everywhere to re-enthrone faith, family, and freedom as the bedrock pillars of liberty in education, our communities, and our nation. Hello, everybody, and welcome back for yet another episode of Abide in Liberty. Uh, Since the beginning of this thing, I've made a point many times before, and I want to expound on that even further, and that point is that... We all have to be willing to find out what God wants of us and then be willing to jump in and do it. But I want to talk about um, a feeling that I think a lot of us probably have, and I think it's probably a valid feeling, um, but one that we do need to work on overcoming. And that feeling is that when we maybe feel a prompting in a certain direction or we're given an assignment or we're asked to do something— that is well outside of our comfort zone and what we feel our skill set is, it's easy to respond that, look, I, I would, but that's just not me, right? I'm just not artistic enough. I'm just not very organized. I'm no good at math. I don't have a whole lot of patience when it comes to children. I'm not a natural teacher. I'm not fill in the blank, right? We all have those things that we are a little bit insecure about, things that make us uncomfortable, things that we've just kind of told ourselves that it's just not us. That's just not who we are. It's not a part of our makeup. And my message in this podcast, and I'm going to spend some time developing this, is don't place limits on yourself. You and me, and all of us are literally gods in embryo, and learning everything about everything and being really good at all of it is in our future if we stay the course of discipleship and of faith in God and obedience to His commandments. Don't run from the challenging things. Don't run from the things that force us to to dabble in our weaknesses or um, spend time where we're uncomfortable. We need to lean into it. We are meant to master everything. That's that's in our DNA, our spiritual DNA. That's who we are supposed to become. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, and that doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to be comfortable. In Ether, chapter 12, The Lord says, If men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble, and my grace is sufficient for all men and women that humble themselves before me. And then here's the kicker it doesn't stop there. I mean, that would be nice enough if that's all it were that, hey, I give to men weaknesses. It's a part of this life. It's okay. And if you humble yourself, I got you covered. But he goes on, he says, For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. Yes, we all have weaknesses. Yes, we all have our Achilles heel, but God did not give us or allow us to have those weaknesses as something to hide behind. He wants us to humble ourselves, exercise faith, and then he'll make those strong. That's what they're there for. They're there to drive us to our knees so that when we can't do anything else, when we reach our wits end, when we feel totally and completely powerless, we'll turn to Him, we'll still move forward because we don't get to just give up, and He'll make it strong. He'll make it work for us. If we say, if we allow ourselves to fall into the temptation of saying that that's just not me or I can't do that, or I'm not good at that, then not only are we limiting ourselves, but according to that scripture that I just read, we're placing limits on God and what He can do through us. By, by acknowledging and hiding behind our weaknesses, we're not being true to ourselves. We're not allowing God to be true to who He is and the miracles that He can bring to pass through us. We're literally denying the future selves that he sees in us by refusing to face those weaknesses head on and and muscle through them. You know, thank goodness that uh, Heavenly Father was able to talk a little bit of sense into Moses and Enoch when each of them expressed their own feelings of inadequacy and their own feelings of weakness, especially when it comes to public speaking. I mean, Moses was supposed to go present himself in, in the royal courts of Egypt and somehow be eloquent enough to persuade the Pharaoh to, to give up his Israelite slaves. Now, that was Moses' thought that it was up to him to do that, not realizing that truly it was God that was going to do the work. Enoch became such a powerful missionary that the entire city that he founded grew to be so righteous that they were taken up into heaven. Their weaknesses were not meant to define them, but humble them, teach them faith, and help them become better and become stronger than they were. You know, once upon a time in this country, in the United States of America, we we knew this. We knew these Bible stories. We knew what it meant to face hardship, what it meant to overcome challenges and overcome weakness. I mean, we wouldn't have dreamt of going up against the greatest military might since the dawn of time if we hadn't. We knew we were outmatched. We knew that our, our leaders were undereducated compared to the elite military training that the British and the Hessian soldiers and their their leaders had received. They knew they were weak in this area, and they humbled themselves, exercised faith, and God made them strong. You know, there's a culture that has infested our society that wants to embrace ease, right? If we have to struggle too much for something or if there's there's an opinion that we have to face that goes against mine, we're we're somehow threatened and traumatized by this. We're becoming a nation of weaklings physically, emotionally and and spiritually. You know, when I think back to The the early pilgrims who set sail from Europe, most of the people, those first pilgrims who came, died that very first winter of disease, starvation. They were ill-prepared, and rather than packing up and saying, well, that was hard, and running back home, more kept coming. They gained a little toehold in that wilderness, and they just kept trying. They felt a drive to come. They knew that the, the reward was worth the cost. I mean, can you imagine that kind of fortitude? I mean, in a world today where, where someone expresses an opinion you don't like and we just fall apart and need someone to comfort us or a therapy puppy or something to help us cope with it, I mean, we really we knew what facing struggle meant. We knew what humility was. We knew what hard was. Uh, Some of my favorite examples of this from the American Revolution time period, one of them is George Washington. He's one of my all-time favorites, but he was a great general, even though he was not nearly as skilled in um, or as well-educated in military matters as those he was facing. But God used the strengths that he did have, which— One of which was an iron will and taught him leadership despite his weaknesses and lack of military training. Not only was he an accomplished general by the end of the Revolutionary War, but he was also an architect, an amateur botanist, an excellent horseman, a statesman, a savvy politician, an eloquent writer, and a fantastic listener. These are people that I'm going to go over here in the next for the next couple of minutes, that we're multifaceted. This is the other thing that I kind of want to point out. We, along with this idea that if we're not as good at something as someone else or a particular um, skill or talent or subject in school doesn't come as easily to us as it might to someone else, that that's a reason to shy away from it and not, not not challenge that, we also... Tend to to fall prey to the idea that we're kind of one sided, right? And I feel like you see this a lot in movies that take place during high school. You've got the jocks and the nerds, and you've got these little compartments of this is just who I am. I, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a science guy. So sports, no, nah, that's not really my thing. Or I'm a I'm a sports guy. I I can't do I can't do all that science stuff. Or I I love math. I'm a logical person. So I I don't do art. That's you know, such a limited limiting viewpoint on ourselves and for the same reasons that we have to push through our weaknesses and our challenges, we've got to push through those things that maybe don't come as naturally or don't that we don't have natural inclinations for because guess what? God is all of those things. He is an incredibly imaginative creator and artist. He is a mathematician like you've never seen before. He's also um, an incredible scientist. I mean, the, the best astrophysicist and um, quantum physicist and all the other physicists that are out there, he beats them all, hands down. But at the same time, he's also a really good people person. That's kind of what he's all about—is the people person. So his social his social skills are top notch. Um, when you think about what he's capable of writing. I mean, he's a great writer. All of these great ideas that we have in scripture and in literature were inspired by him. They're an attempt—a weak attempt. Even the best writers in history are a weak attempt to capture in language, the the feelings and the depth of thought and, and expression that he enjoys. Guys, that's our future. <clears throat> so we've got to get over these little compartmentalized views of ourselves. And George Washington was a great example of someone who did that. Thomas Jefferson also um, was very similar in that. He was a brilliant political mind and thinker, but he was also an architect, a botanist, an amateur inventor. Benjamin Franklin is another one of my favorite examples of somebody who developed himself on many different levels and in many different areas. He was a scientist and inventor. That was how he made his living. And having spent some time at a local defense contractor in a prior life, you know, it wasn't uncommon for me to hear one of the many engineers that I spent time with, brilliant, brilliant scientists, say something along the lines of, oh, well, you know, we're just engineers. We can't be expected to get along well with people. Well, guess what? That was Benjamin Franklin. But he was also an eloquent speaker and a writer. He also was a diplomat that was so good at reading people and working through the political morass of Europe that he was able to enlist France openly on our side during the American Revolution and bring funds and ships and, and armies and navies to help us. Okay, so we didn't just lean on, oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the geek, I don't do the people thing. No, he developed those skills as well. And I love that example. Turning to the Book of Mormon, you have Helaman uh, during the war chapters who was the prophet But when the time came for it and the armies needed a leader, there was a void there that he knew he could fill. Instead of saying, no, guys, I'm the peace and love guy, he jumped in and led an army and one of the most successful armies of the war. Again, another brilliant, incredible, multifaceted individual. King David is another good example of that. Brilliant military leader, but also a peacemaker. A spiritual leader and a poet, he knew animal husbandry and was pretty handy with a sling. You know, I when I left that defense contractor and had the privilege of teaching full-time at Liberty Youth Academy, I felt incredibly inadequate. Um, I'm not one who has always been known for being the most patient person in the world, and I was concerned about that. That was a weakness that I perceived in myself, and I'm still working on that not only that, but you know, having observed my wife teach for several years, I knew that a big part of that job was making sure that there was plenty of arts and crafts and things like that to keep children's imaginations and their minds engaged. Even when you're teaching a, a subject like history, which a lot of times people see as boring, you got to find ways to make that fun and get them using some creative outlets um, as you're teaching all those subjects. And I was really nervous about that. I remember some of the first times that I was preparing a lesson and the lesson plans called for a craft of some kind. I would just groan internally and I'd go to my wife in a little bit of a panic and say, I feel like I need to do this, but where do I find glitter? Where do I find, what the heck is, is a pipe cleaner? But I knew I could learn it I knew that I could learn to be creative, and I got over that fear. I'm still not where my wife is, but I can put together a craft if the occasion calls for it, and it doesn't even cause me an insane amount of stress. I also felt like that first year that I needed to teach my students watercolors. Now, I I had gone through my entire life telling myself, I'm the math guy. I'm more of a logical mind. I am not artistic or creative. Now, and that's true that art doesn't come naturally to me. I'm not drawn to it, and I don't just get home from work and want to pick up a a pencil and a pad and draw or paint or anything like that. But I decided to begin teaching myself, and I found that I actually really enjoyed it when I let myself enjoy it, and when I let myself try it, and I put together some watercolor paintings, and they're no masterpieces, but they were far better than anything I thought I could do, and I got excited enough about it that I bought a set of watercolors and still, even though it's been sitting on the shelf for quite some time, have a desire to someday pick that up and continue to refine that skill. Later that year, I decided to pick up um, and teach the students uh, sculpting. So I learned a little bit about it and I put together this little um, sculpture and I'm, I'm looking around because I think it's in this room with me somewhere, but I have no idea where it is. But it's a um, a little figurine of Gollum or Smeagol from Lord of the Rings. And what I love about this is when people see it, when I used to have it up in my classroom, they knew who it was. And for me, that was like the ultimate test that I had done a decent job. Now, I'm not a master sculptor, but I enjoyed it. And that actually is a medium I enjoyed even more than watercolors. But the point is, I learned something about myself, and that's that I'm so much more than I thought I was. I I learned that I could love things that I thought I had no affinity for whatsoever. I learned that I have got to stop saying that I'm not dot, 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 fill in the blank. And what I'm trying and what I hope you get from this is that if that is something that you struggle with doing, that you'll take those words and that phrase out of your vocabulary and out of your conversation as well. I'm not artistic, baloney. It may not come easy. But we're all destined for greatness and to become creators in our own right. That requires creativity. You can learn it. It also requires mathematics and science. So if you're not a fan of geometry or trigonometry, guess what? You're going to have to master it sooner or later. So why wait? If you don't love politics or government, I can certainly understand that sentiment. But guess what? Learning how to govern, and learning how to do it righteously is a part of becoming like the King of King and Lord of Lords. We need to learn to govern righteously. If you're not a great writer or speaker, you're going to have to learn that one too eventually. And this is another one that was a weakness and still kind of is a weakness of mine personally. Um, I took a class at BYU my freshman year with my wife, Bonnie, um, and our teacher, our professor, had us write our first essay, and then she was going to sit down with us and share with us what we needed to work on that semester in order to be fully prepared to enter the world of college writing. Um, my wife had her interview with the professor first and came back and said it was a very positive meeting, just a couple little things she needed to work on, and that was it. I went in for my interview, and she, <laughs> she kind of looked at me inside and said, Brayden, you've got a lot of work to do. And she proceeded to just tear my paper apart and show me every way that I was a terrible writer. And looking back on it, she was right. Um, I really had a lot to learn that was not something that came easily. Um, I decided, though, to take extra writing classes. I took a bunch of honors writing classes, not because um, I was asked to, but because I wanted to challenge myself and force myself to become good at writing. And I became passable, and I got decent grades in writing, and it still doesn't come easily. But I'm a lot better than I was, and I expect to continue that progress. We are so much more... Than the limitations that we place on ourselves. We've got to stop making excuses. We need to lean into the hard and trust that God will make us equal to the overwhelmingly difficult, impossible, stressful missions that he has for each and every one of us. I'll end with my probably... And I probably say this about every story, but one of my top five favorite stories of the Book of Mormon, and this is shortly before Christ visits the Americas, the Nephites find themselves in a precarious situation where these and robbers, they're the ones who were actively working to subvert the government, to take power for themselves, and they become so powerful, they were kind of living up in these mountains. And there were there were enough of them that the Nephites couldn't go and 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 overthrow them there. So, the Nephites decided that um, they were going to band together. So, they all come together into one central location. They bring lots of food storage with them so they can last for seven years. And when the Gadiant and Robbers see this, they think they've won a great victory. So, they come down out of the mountains and they take over all this land, but they realize... There's really only one thing they're good at, and that's taking food and taking things from other people, but the Nephites are so centrally located and, and fortified now that they can't, they can't pick them off from the fringes to get what they need to live like they used to. So, at one point, um, the Nephites feel confident in coming out and facing the Gadiant robbers head-on in battle. Uh, the Gadiant robbers don't have the benefit of their mountain strongholds anymore, so the Nephites are able to meet them on a little bit more equal ground. And they come up and they line up and they're facing each other. And this is what it says. It says, It came to pass that, that they, the Gadiant robbers, did come up to battle, and it was in the sixth month, and behold, great and terrible was the day that they did come up to battle. And they were girded about after the manner of robbers, and they had a lambskin about their loins, and they were dyed in blood, and their heads were shorn, and they had head plates upon them. And great and terrible was the appearance of the armies of Gideon High, who was the leader of these Gadiant robbers because of their armor and because of their being dyed in blood. So you can imagine the Nephites facing this enemy down. I mean, these guys are scary looking. And it came to pass that the armies of the Nephites, when they saw the appearance of the army of Gideon High, had all fallen to the earth and did lift their cries to the Lord, their God, that he would spare them and deliver them out of the hands of their enemies And it came to pass that when the armies of Gideon high saw this, they began to shout with a loud voice because of their joy, for they had supposed that the Nephites had fallen with fear because of the terror of their armies. But in this thing, they were disappointed, for the Nephites did not fear them, but they did fear their God and did supplicate him for protection." Therefore, when the armies of Gideon, I did rush upon them, they were prepared to meet them. Yea, in the strength of the Lord, they did receive them. So when I read this, this image that this story puts in my head of these people who are scared, they've been terrorized by these these Gadiant robbers for years and they're finally going to go out and face them and they just look terrifying. They kneel down. And instead of being afraid, they trust in God. And I love how it says, in the strength of the Lord, they did receive them. they rise up and they just face, they lean into the difficult. They lean into the impossible. They lean into that thing that they know they can't do on their own. And they're successful. They beat them and they're able to, to win that war and and move back to their lands and establish peace again. My hope is that we can each follow that example that the Nephites gave us by facing the challenges and victories that God has in store for us and face them head on by falling to our knees and pleading for His help and strength, then standing up confident in the knowledge that through the Lord's strength we can and absolutely will see miracles, the likes of which we can scarcely now imagine. Thank you for listening to Abide in Liberty make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with friends and family. In the meantime, keep up with the show online at AbideInLiberty.com. Also, if you'd like to help our K-12 bless and educate more families, contact us by visiting LibertyYouthAcademy.org. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, and be strong.